0: So many people, they need to realize that you got to hang on to hope and you got to know there's better times ahead. We can get through this. And there's so many lessons to be learned, you know, the choices, which which way do you want to go? You know, you want to move forward or you want to stay on the ground and cry and complain and whine.
1: Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner. And it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started.
2: Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn, powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting distribution and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Libsyn.com, promo code CHOICES. Welcome back, Clear Choices listeners. Uh, Excited to share with you another Fantastic episode, have a very interesting guest, very diverse background. His name is Ken Buckles. Uh, He is the son of a military father and military family. He played college football at Portland State University and recently retired from being a high school teacher and football coach himself. And then also, he's an author. He is now on his third volume of a book called Remembrance which is a book about remembering his veteran friends and guests from living history of all the significant uh, atrocities and wars in the world. So, Ken, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. So I guess we'll just kind of start with the end in mind. How did it come to be that a uh, college football player and high school football coach wrote three books
0: well, it, uh, it goes back to my father, who was a Marine in the Korean War, and uh, I was born in 54, and so I grew up in in late 50s through the 60s and thinking something was different, and now we know it as post-traumatic stress. I was not drafted in 72 and was able to go uh, pursue my dreams. I knew I wanted to be a teacher and a football coach and play college football, and uh During my career, my father ended up taking his life, and it just uh, literally destroyed my mother, who was 51 at the time, and three years later, she was gone. So that led to me an awareness of post-traumatic stress and and realizing that these veterans who go off to war come back with serious issues, and that led to me starting a program at Milwaukee High School in 96 called uh, Living History Day, where I would bring these veterans in from all the different wars, Not only veterans, this is how I got to know uh, your parents' lesson, Eva Iagner, Holocaust survivors, refugees, comfort women, to teach kids, you know, that uh, war is a horrible answer, you know, uh, and a lot of people suffer the the effects of it.
2: Well, that's uh, very well and succinctly put. I really appreciate the way you just kind of surmised that. So let's step back for a second. How old were you when your father took his life? I was 30 years old. And, you know, obviously that's a, a devastating thing for anybody at any age and a shocking thing. How long would you say it took you to kind of move through that where, you know, you were able to kind of, you know, move on, pick up the pieces, move on with your life a little bit?
0: Well, the ripple effect is a couple marriages and divorces, um, going into depression myself. I was, wasn't was diagnosed until the mid nineties and, you know, start taking antidepressants and realize that the depression is a uh, hereditary can be passed down and it's triggered by certain events. And so it's been a journey. My sister, I'm the oldest. My sister's gone through her personal journey. My brother, you know, the ripple effect of a, the act of suicide is just, is something else. It's pretty powerful.
2: Yeah. And, and now, you know, I, 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 as a son of a Holocaust survivor, I look at their traumatic experience as a gift to me, because I believe it gave me resilience and an opportunity to to be a little bit more grateful than I think most people normally are. And so I, I try to look not at just the negative impact that it could have, but also the positive. What would you say, I know this is a strange question, but what would you say would be some of the positive ripple effects for having gone through that difficult journey?
0: Well, it's interesting because, uh, I'm glad I was open to making the choice of getting therapy counseling over all this because I was able to heal the anger issues and and all that where I wanted, you know, I was angry at my father. And then you, you start to realize all the wonderful things he tried to do while he was suffering from this post-traumatic stress and keeping it from us. And, uh, there was a lot of wonderful things he did as a father. So he taught me tremendous work ethic and, and discipline um, doing your best, never giving up. So, you know, I'm just so grateful instead. Now I can't wait to, you know, see him, hopefully see him and hug him and say, dad, thank you. I love you so much. And, you know, I'm, I'm sad that he had to go through that stuff, but yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you can choose to get knocked down and not get back up on the horse, but It was always, you know, get back up on that horse, you know, do it again. You can get you can do
2: it. So even with his demons and struggles, he passed on to you a a level of resilience uh, that you still carry on. Exactly. So tell me, Ken, what would he think? What would your father think of these books?
0: I think he would be uh, very proud. I think he'd be very proud of what I've done because um, and I just realized that I didn't answer your question about the books. I started to get to know these veterans, and little by little, I would get information out of them, and I would write these notes. And then, when I, you know, had a computer, I would put them in the computer. In that World War II, I'd classify them. Then I did them by European Theater, Pacific, then by branch, and I just kept adding to it. And people would, you know, they, different veterans would say, "Hey, I, I want to tell you uh, what my experiences I went through." And then, as I as they got older, they said, "I need to open up and share with you." So I just kept recording this stuff. And what was fascinating was that when they get into their 90s, they really wanted to get it off their chest. So I was able to get stories and experiences from quite a diverse collection of uh, veterans, many races, um, which led to it was over a thousand pages long. So then the editor said, no one's ever going to buy it. So you've got to put it into volumes. So hence, that's the thing is the three volumes.
2: Well, and that's also interesting. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, the generation of people that you're interviewing, you know, they are historically stoic men primarily that aren't sharing. They're not, they're not, they're not built to share feelings, but as they got older and yeah. things evolved, they became more, it sounds, more open to sharing yeah. their, their true feelings, which must have been yeah. cathartic for you given the experience you had with your father.
0: Well, it's led the number one word used at these events for the last 25 years for veterans has been healing. It's been very healing. Many of them, and in, in, in the books, have said this is the first time I ever spoke, and they would share just a little bit with students. They would never go into explicit details. But uh, I was shocked with many of them would say I would finish getting information from her or finishing an interview, and they'd say nobody knows this story but a couple of veterans. My wife, kids, and grandkids don't even know it. Yeah, some are reading about it for the first time. So, volume one is my relative Frank Buckles, World War One, and a prisoner of the Japanese in World War Two. He lived to be 110. He was America's last living World War One vet. Wow, so there's a huge section on him in the book. The rest are all World War Two uh, veterans and and very diverse. Many veterans of veterans of different races, and then a Holocaust survivor at the end, Arthur Weiner for his messages of hope and forgiveness. And then volume two is uh, half World War Two, half Korea. And then I'm including lesson Ava Eigner, your folks, in that as another chapter of, you know, it's so many people they need to realize that you gotta hang on to hope and you gotta know there's better times ahead. We can get through this and there's so many lessons to be learned that, you know, the choice is which, which way do you want to go? You know, you wanna Move forward, or you want to stay on the ground and cry and complain
2: and whine. I love, I love that Ken. Uh, you said something that triggered a, a, what I hope is an interesting question, and that is, what are the parallels and differences that you noticed in all these interviews that you've done in three volumes of books between those that were the the soldiers or the rescuers, if you will. And those that were the victims, you know, the prison inmates, whether it was Japanese interns or Holocaust survivors or any number of people that you interviewed, what were the parallels between those two bodies of people?
0: It doesn't, I, I don't know, it doesn't matter, you know, the campaign or the branch or the battle or the war or whatever. It's just those that open up and share something. said it's just horrific. So they're in this, they're in this horrific situation that, you know, humanity shouldn't really feel or see or experience and of course there's you know how do you on the spectrum well these guys had it worse you know these prisoners of wars had it worse yes they did the holocaust survivors had it even worse so it's it's just it must all must be remembered it must be passed down and taught but that in these in times like us ourselves that we're going through ourselves is they realize that these people have gone through much much tougher situations life and death situations than Struggled so difficult, you know, but they overcame, they survived, they made it, they they hung on, and they have a, a legacy now. Grandchildren, children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. It's 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 an amazing legacy.
2: Yeah, uh, and um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you're you're talking about this, and then you know, this other piece of you is a teacher and a coach. How did you tie those threads together? So you've had all these life lessons from your father and through writing the books. And, you know, uh, uh, being a football coach, you know, you're a you're a molder of young men. So how did you weave some of this into your molding of these young men?
0: You know, I, I think it was uh, my father taught me that that strong work ethic and never quitting. And and uh, in the prologue of volume one, I go in pretty Extensively about my childhood and life where I was not an athlete, a natural athlete. I was chubby, overweight, slow, weak, all the above. I was bullied badly for about four years straight, seventh through uh, sophomore year. And, and then I started growing and then I, I learned how to lift weights and I, I was a walk-on in college. And it's just, I just refused to say no and 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 not give up. So that led to me when I taught the weight room was just really my medium for teaching work ethic to these kids and discipline and setting goals. And, and, uh, I enjoyed working with the kids who reminded me myself of what I went through because I said, Hey, your self-esteem is low. You know, you come in here and do what I say and work out hard, your physique's going to change. And then all of a sudden your self esteem's going to grow. And, and so I really loved that aspect, the great athletes were, you know, God given talent, you know, they're, they're easy to coach. Oh gosh, they make you look good. But uh,
2: uh, I, I love that. I love that you got to sort of use your experience as a young man uh, yeah. and, and, and help, help build other young men that were going through that same challenge. So, so let's pivot a little bit, not that we're not going to come back to this topic, but let's pivot a little bit to your athletic career. Cause that's, um you know, that, that, that takes a lot of discipline and a lot of focus. So when, when did you feel like you were on track to have the ability to walk on at the NCAA one level as a college football player? Uh,
0: to this day, I probably don't even understand it myself. I, try <laughs> to figure it out. I, I had a high school line coach who uh, humiliated me. I was never, I never played much at all. I was second and third string. He humiliated me and I actually put it in the prologue by, you know, told my parents and everyone, I was not a good football player. Or I never would get be a good football player. So it was that driven that, that anger that had built inside of me from the bullying years and that. And I, I had some friends who had been recruited and were going to Portland state and they talked me in to start lifting weights with them. And they kept working on me and they had me meet the head coach and i was i really was nervous i said i can't play at this level i've never played at any level and and he said as a speech uh, the regret speech that a lot of us coaches use you know well you're going to regret this decision as long as you live he says i'm giving you an opportunity to walk on so i took it and then i just it was that drive and determination and and anger you know after all the 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 therapy i received and all this over the years I, i wonder could I have played football? The Ken Buckles I am today. Could I have played because I was filled with so much rage and determination that I I made
2: myself a college football player. Let me ask you. Let me ask you, Ken. At that point, when you walked on, what was your biggest asset? Your size was your biggest asset. Your drive. I mean, were you were you fast enough and strong enough, or what was what was missing, and what did you have that got you through it?
0: Obviously, my size I'm 6'5", and am six-five—and then I was about two forty, and then got bigger through the weight room. You know, your perfect candidate. Oh, we need big guys on the offensive line, and then coaches at that level—you that know—they say, "Okay, in those days, we can make this guy a player. We'll get put him in the weight room and work on his speed, and then by the time he's a junior, he'll turn into an offensive lineman." Well. I already had all that work ethic and drive, and I was determined to make it. And what always shocked me was these kids they would bring in who had tremendous natural, God-given athletic ability, Greek God builds, everything, and, and they just were lazy. And uh, it just it infuriated me. But I worked uh, very hard at it. I became, I became uh, very uh, fast for an offensive lineman, very quick. I uh, lived
1: in the weight room. I became a lot stronger. It
0: all paid off
1: you, you you made you made the choice to do it. It was all grit and determination. How would you assess your
2: college football career like you know what what heights did you reach or what were what were your highlights?
0: Well, I started pretty much every game for three years. Uh, the games I didn't start i uh, I played in, and those was just a few of them. I was on a team that we had our quarterback was an all american. We led the nation in scoring, passing, and total offense. Uh, the coach, Mouse Davis, became a legend and a Hall of Fame coach. He revolutionized the game of football by opening up and passing, which was huge back then. Now everybody runs these quick, fast, open passing games. Well, it all started because before that, it was a three yards and a cloud of dust mentality. Right. Um, and I was, there were was some great football players and great guys, and I still have a lot of great friendships with them it's just i look back and say you know i'm I'm so grateful so blessed so you know i got this opportunity and i made the best of it and and it's just you know i'd always tell people when when you accomplish something no one can ever take it away from you and the memories you know i just have nothing but great memories and and i i'm i'm very grateful blessed for the opportunity
2: i love that i love i love hearing that especially as the father of two you know aspiring athletes myself. I'm gonna make them listen to you <laughs> um, so so now translate that experience that you just described at portland state and and give me a sense of you know some of the standout impacts you had on some of your own players as a coach. you know you don't have to mention names, but like you know I'd love to hear a story of like a kid who was sort of like you maybe that you know you helped usher into a higher level of achievement that they ever thought possible for themselves.
0: There, there was amazing. One of the things that I met some people who were, they would make fun of us football players for the way we lifted because nobody knew how to train in those days, but Portland state had an Olympic lifting center and there were several guys who tried out for the 76 Olympics and one was an alternative. So I went over and said, why are you always laughing at us? And they said, because you guys don't know what you're doing. And I said, well, I want to learn. And so they said, well, you know, you're going to do what we say then for, for six months straight. And I said, let's go for it. So they taught me how to train proper technique, how to train smart and uh, on a structured program. And I took that to the high school level. And at the high school level, they were now just starting to add weight programs. And a lot of the coaches didn't know what they were doing. There was a mentality, no pain, no gain, um, go in there, just work out hard. Uh, a lot of the uh, weightlifting teachers and at the high school level were football coaches, and they didn't know anything about weight training back then. So we didn't have a weight room. I fundraised for the weight room and started this program. And it was amazing, the results. When you're on a structured strength training program, the results are phenomenal, not only with the, the non-athletes, but the athletes. And then there was many kids that I would be able to relate to them and say, you know, that your third string is a freshman, your third string is a sophomore. And I said, and they, and they would come to me and cry. And I, I want to play someday. I want to play varsity football. And I said, well, this is the room where you can make it happen. You just come in here and train and train. So there was many, every year there was kids that started for us and played huge roles in, in our success that they were one of those kids that, uh, you know, should have never made it. But I'm so proud of them, and and they've carried that with them into their uh, careers
2: and raising their kids. You know, absolutely. you would never give up. I love, I love it. Now, do, do do you find yourself more prideful of the kid who was the third stringer who got to starting, or do you find yourself equally as proud by the you know kid who graduated and got a D1 scholarship and made the pros or whatever?
0: Actually. And they would they would uh, understand, too, that I, I actually got more reward and satisfaction out of the kids who weren't supposed to. But they were able to believe in themselves and see their confidence grow. What was great about the, the the blessed athletes that had all the gifts was that I was able to get them to take it to another level and say, you you know, you can't just come in here and skate on your looks and talent. You're going to work. And so because of that, they all achieved even greater success because they became so darn strong and and coached a lot of kids who played at the college level, whether it's football or other sports, and one who ended up playing in the NFL. And
2: and we're still close with all of them. I'm sure I'm sure you didn't miss any of those uh, college or NFL games. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, that's really cool. He was
0: a a duck, Latin Berry. He was an all American football player, all American track. He was the first team that uh, they turned the program around to start going to ball games. His junior and senior year, they went to ball games and the rest is history, but he was amazing,
2: amazing athlete. Well, I'm a duck. So I'm uh, now I'm going to have to look him up. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit from, you know, the important lessons from both your book and your athletic career and kind of try to translate those things to some of the things that are happening now in the world. And, Regardless of where anyone stands on the political spectrum, you know, the last four years has been uh, a challenge, to say the least. Uh, so I'm curious, when you look at particularly the book uh, or the books, how, how does what you've learned writing these books inform how you view the last four years? Uh,
0: first, I should start out that at it's end, volume one was two World War II Marines in 1997 we're going to get in a fist fight in front of high school students over uh, politics. And it was, it was something else. There was other veterans yelling at them. I had to get between them and say no politics. So that became a policy that right away, no politics. And uh, politicians were always trying to come to our events and speak. And there was, a, in the early years, I had a couple of them do it. And I had veterans come up and say, we don't ever want to hear politics in this. If someone needs to give a speech, let it be a student. So that stuck with me all these times. And it's very challenging trying to stay neutral uh, during the last four years because I, um, I know that there's veterans who are conservative and there's veterans who are liberal. I know. I know them all. And uh, they're, they're now in the civilian world and they have a right to vote the way they do. I just it's been for me personally, it's been extremely frustrating seeing the the far right have such power and the far left have such power. I feel like a lot of us who are in the middle are saying, hey, slow down, we want off of this ride. You
2: yeah, know? I'm 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 with you. I'm one of those in the middle for sure. Now, if I can say I, I, I understand, you know, you're you're in a mixed racial marriage, right? And yes. I'm curious, given everything that's also gone on in the last Four years and much longer, but it's been more pronounced and visible in the last couple of years. How, is, how has your reaction been to that? Because you know, whether it's George Floyd or all the other travesties, there's, there's just a big spotlight on that subject. So I'm imagining you you have a different perspective than most people.
0: It's called uh, very well informed. I have learned so much. I first I went to an all-white high school and when you, I went to Portland State half the team was black athletes and uh, the majority of them were from uh, Los Angeles area and so it was like the clash of two cultures and it was right there at the time the movie Remember the Titans so it was all very similar but I got to know and become good friends with many of them and I'm still on today and that helped me coach black athletes in high school I thought I I knew you know what to say and what to do and you know and not be an idiot but then uh my stepson set me up on a date 15 years ago with Melinda who's a beautiful black woman from Atlanta Georgia and I tell people that was like if I thought I was um at the high school level on learning about African Americans I was now in college and then my master's degree because I've learned so much. And the other thing that's helped me greatly was that Milwaukee High School is extremely diverse. So I said, I've got to bring in veterans of all races. And my gosh, I've learned so much, you know, so much of what they went through and before serving, during serving, after serving, you know, I've had, you know, the famous Tuskegee Airmen come in, the black fighter pilots. I've had Navajo co-talkers. Over a hundred different Native American tribes from all over, uh, you know, get learning all these perspectives. I've had Japanese Americans who were interned and, and fought for the 442nd and Chinese American Veterans Association. And there's, there's so many that uh, it's uh, really raised the awareness, and you c- you have an understanding and appreciation. So when I would see the thing like this stuff, I I've talked that it's been going on. Because we have cell phones now, it's being captured. And I, exactly. I, I read a lot of history, but it, it just breaks my heart. And when the George Floyd thing, I was lost. I didn't know what to do. So I said, I'm going to call every black man that I know from my past. The black football players that I played with, the, that I coached, the black veterans. One was a three-star general, another a Tuskegee Airman who was a POW. And I said, I don't know what to say to you guys, except I'm sorry. And over 50 of them told me stories of when they were pulled over as teenagers, as adults. And just recently, I mean, these famous senior citizens, and some of them are are successful doctors, uh, uh, lawyers, uh, dentists, and and, they, and it still happens to them. And so I, I wrote a post on that. That's the first time I didn't, I wasn't neutral. I wrote a post on Facebook and I was attacked by, I was unfriended by several uh, friends and my wife was attacked on her page. And, and it was, oh my gosh, I wasn't, I, oh, I'm i at a loss for words. That's pretty rare. Yeah.
2: yeah, I get it. I, um, uh, I, I recently, Made a post on. I never do political posts on social media, but I made a recent post about the uh, the Capitol riot, and uh, it was about some of the Nazi insignias that people were wearing and whatnot. And I thought it was a pretty inane post. Like anybody with a sane mind would go, "Yeah, that's awful." But I got unfriended and hate hate posts, and I couldn't believe that. The, I, I thought something that was so obviously universally uh, was, was received with some, some real, uh, negative responses. So I guess, let me, let me pivot to that. You know, obviously I know my parents' story very well. They've been on the show. I've spoken publicly with them and about them for years, but I'm curious what your take was when interviewing my parents, what was your takeaway around their message?
0: Just unbelievable, uh, what they both went through and the, uh, I guess your mother was just a child. And for her, her mother, your grandmother, Gisela. Yes. Uh, what an amazing, amazing woman that there, there could be a movie, there should be a movie made on just what she did. Her, yeah,
1: just to get back to her children, right?
0: Yeah, her determination and love and, and obsession, you know, I am going to get to my children, I've got to protect them. It's just phenomenal. But to see, you know, they're such a, a great example of the choices you can take because the, um, the other family that I interviewed for Alter Wiener, their childhood experience was very similar to someone, a veteran of severe PTSD. There, there, there was no joy or happiness in the home, and, and it was just, it's so sad. And then to see that your parents made the choice that we are going to do whatever we can to make this home full of love and happiness and joy and try to be a a typical, normal, average family if there is one. And I'm just so impressed that they accomplished that. And it's I'm so blessed and grateful that it will be in this volume because it's just another example for people to read that's saying, you know, you have control over a lot in your life. You can choose to go this direction. You can choose to do this, you know, and that's what I'm about. I get, once a teacher, always a teacher. And and they're, they're helping me send out a tremendous, tremendous message that your great, great grandchildren are going to read about in this book.
2: Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, Ken, you know what? I could, oh, there it is. I love it. I love it. I, I have it right here, too. Look. <laughs> Uh, I I could not wrap this up any better than with what you just said. So, um, you know, you're a very inspirational guy. I love your message. I love the the books. Tell people where they can find the books, Ken.
0: Well, it's on Amazon. Remembrance, Volume 1. And uh, the Volume 1 is a capital I. And uh, Ken Buckles. And it's, uh, re- memories of my, uh, remembering my veteran friends and guests from living history days, but it's big remembrance volume one and the reviews by people that I get the kick out of it. Many of them say, I hate reading. I never read books, but I couldn't put your yours down. Another one was, uh, he bought it for himself, someone that I taught and coached and his teenage son saw the cover, picked it up and started reading it. And he read the book the whole weekend he wouldn't put it down he finished it and over the weekend he said it was the first book his son had read in his entire life so
2: (laughs) I, i love it i love it that's fantastic well please uh listeners go buy the book remembrance volume one by ken buckles ken thank you so much for being here today
1: i appreciate it thank you i appreciate it for the opportunity thank you so much for joining us If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.